Good morning, Living Streams. Good morning. Um, it's been kind of a, a it's been kind of a hectic week for me this week. Uh, I had a family emergency, something going on in our family, and I spent most of the week uh, in Tucson and uh, just kind of having those hard meetings you have with family, you know, and when when things are going on. And so uh, I'll I'll share more of it when I feel like I want to share more about it. But um, uh, but there's a lot of people praying for me, so thank you. And uh, I, the thing I was feeling more than anything is I was really bummed out that I missed Wednesday. Um, it really, like I was Wednesday night, I was trying to do a little bit of sermon prep uh, and, uh, and I was, you know, I finished, I was fasting that day too with you guys and, and uh, I was texting Nathan and Kurt and I was going, how's it going? What's going on? Like I had so much FOMO. I really, I really did feel like I had that fear of missing out going, going on and, um, and it's not because Wednesday nights are just like amazing and we have like pyrotechnics and we just wow everybody. It's just special, right? It's just family. And if you didn't, if you didn't come on Wednesday, I'd really encourage you, come this Wednesday. Uh, Mario on our team is going to be leading us in prayer. But there's something special that happens when there's a group of people that have been humbling themselves and praying, and they're very uncomfortable and a little bit grumpy from not eating. Um, and you get those people in a room together, uh, people that are hungry for God, and something amazing happens. It really is. And it has nothing to do with how fancy this place is. And it has everything to do with the Spirit of God. And um, Wednesday nights, it's, I've been coming to them for close to 10 years now uh, at Living Streams. And, um, and they're always special. They're always a little bit different too. Um, so make sure and come on Wednesday. It's going to be really awesome. Um, but yeah, I've been in Tucson and um, spending a lot of time with my family. And uh, which is great and hard and everything in between. Um, and uh, and my, my dad, on the Romeo side, uh, my dad has five brothers. So there's six boys, and, um, and my grandma, God bless her, raised them all on her own. And, uh, and um, they really are, for me, I grew up just loving to listen to my uncles. And they tell a lot of stories. So if you've been around the Romeo family at all, you know we tell a lot of stories. And uh, you might get a little piece of that when I get up here on stage. I love to tell stories. And our family, we get together and we'll tell, you know, tell a story about something that happened years ago. And the funny thing is about the Romeos is we've all heard that story a thousand times, but we laugh at it as if it's the first time we heard it. And we just love getting together. We love telling stories. And um, we were telling some stories uh, this last week about my great-grandmother. Now, my great-grandmother, she... Uh, she lived in New Jersey before she passed, and um, she came, her parents came from Sicily, and so she is basically straight out of Italy. Uh, we called her the incredible shrinking woman because she did seem to get shorter every single year till the point where at, you know, at some point she had a stepladder that went up to her stove so she could cook. It was the funniest thing. We were like, this just looks really funny. Um, the thing about my great-grandma is she would make an obscene amount of food, like way more than you needed to make. It's like the Italian in her. So the cardinal rule when you're eating at my great-grandma's house was come very hungry. Like it's best if you haven't eaten in 24 hours and then you will get full. And, um, and you learn that the hard way because she'll come and she'll bring you like these hors d'oeuvres. You go, wow, that's amazing, you know, and then she'll bring out like eggplant parmesan. You go, wow, the main course, this is so good. You know, you finish that up. 
not even close to the main course, you know. Then that she brings out meatballs, and she made meatballs, um, delicious meatballs, and she did something weird. She put raisins in it, which I know you feel like, that doesn't sound very Italian, but it was so good, just like a little bit of sweetness in it. So she'd bring out a pile of meatballs, no pasta yet. She'd pour red sauce on it. You'd just eat meatballs. Then she would bring out pasta. Then the pasta would start coming out, and at some point, like the 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 biggest thing you didn't want to do is sit back and say, oh, I'm full. She'd be like, what? You're already full? And if you slowed down even a little bit, I remember one time I slowed down and she was like, what's wrong? You don't like it? Do you want something else? Do you want me to make you something different? And I'm like, no, 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 Grandma, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just, just letting it digest a little bit. You know, you got to pace yourself. So my, uh, my uncles were telling me this story that um, is still, it's shocking to me. I'm like, if, of all people that should know, but uh, my grandpa, which is my great-grandma's son, uh, he one day packed up all six of his sons, did the long drive to go see his mom, and along the way, they stopped off at a diner and ate a burger, and then went to my grandma's house. And to this day, my uncles were like, what is wrong with dad? Like, how did he think that this was okay? Like, like grandma was upset, it was a big thing, it was like an ordeal in the family, And you know, like the cardinal rule is you show up hungry. You have to show up hungry. And the thing that was shocking to all of us is when you go to my great-grandma's house, you are going to get some of the best food you will ever eat. And the fact that you wasted your meal on a diner burger to this day incenses like everybody that remembers that story. Why? Because you are filling yourself up with something that is lesser than what you could get if you just waited. Just wait a little bit. I think a lot of times in, in this fasting season, which I'm sorry if some of you are like fasting today, I'm like made it so much worse, I'm so sorry. Um, but, um, you know, in the fasting season, what we have to remember is that we are cultivating a hunger for God. We're trying to cultivate a hunger for God. Now, the world can fill us to some extent. And I think in the, in the church we go, oh, the world will never satisfy all of this stuff. Agreed, I agree. The world will never fully satisfy, but the world can distract you enough that you feel like you're satisfied. And that is the dangerous place to be. The world and all of its circumstance, all of its distractions can in some ways gratify and distract the soul. It is a short-lived, circumstance-dependent sort of satisfaction, but a satisfaction nonetheless. The sort of fleeting, restless gratification makes no room for the truly deep, resilient, and restful contentment we find only in the presence of God. Worldly gratification makes no room for hungering and thirsting after God. It's like eating a diner burger before sitting at the table filled with homemade Italian delicacies. John Piper said it this way. He said, if you don't feel a strong desire for the manifestation of the glory of God, it is not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world, your soul is stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. When we're fasting, this is what we are doing. We are pushing back on all the little nibbling at the table of the world and I'm not just talking about sin. Yes, sin is one of those things that can bring sort of temporary gratification, but it cannot bring the long-lasting satisfaction of the presence of God. But there's also the nibbling at the table of things that are kind of good, 
but they just distract you. They distract you from the main course, which is the Holy Spirit and the presence of God. And in this season, the thing that we do as a church when we're fasting, we are trying to cultivate a hunger for God. Because hungry people are healthy people. Part of what we've been uh, dealing with um, down in Tucson as a family, we've been talking a lot about end-of-life care and things like that. And, and so as a family, we're talking about a lot of different options and, and things like that. And um, one of the things when we were talking to a, a doctor, they said one of the, the biggest signs that somebody is kind of nearing the end of their life is that they lose their appetite. They're just not hungry anymore. And they sit down, and you could put a T-bone steak, you could put their favorite meal in front of them, and they go, man, I'm just not real hungry. That is a sign that something is wrong and it's starting to, starting to change. And for us, as followers of Jesus, if we're not hungry, something's wrong. If we're not hungry, there's something that's wrong. And the interesting thing is, the world, you know, when you get hungry, you eat something, right? And then you're not hungry anymore. In the kingdom of God, hunger begets more hunger for God. You get a little taste of the Lord and you go, I want a little bit more. And you get a little bit more and you're like, I, I need a little bit more. It's the only place in the life where we could be greedy, right? It's totally fine. You could be greedy all you want for the presence of God. That is fine. And that is the marker of a healthy believer. And so for those of us in the season, we're confronting maybe sicknesses in our heart. We're confronting things that we're going, this can't go with us to the next season. And we're trying to cultivate a hunger for God. Now, as I was thinking this week, I thought, well, okay, Fasting is cultivating this hunger for God. We're going to talk a little bit more about that. But what, what are the dangers of this? And I will just say this. I, I, I need to get this out on the table. Fasting is not a willpower exercise. Um, a lot of times we think, oh, if we could just willpower our way through it, if we could just gut through it, you know, like then we're going to build some discipline and then we're going to do this. That is not what fasting is about. Fasting is uncomfortable and it should be uncomfortable. Like we're supposed to lean into that. Even these days, they're talking about fasting as being healthy. It's true. Fasting can be healthy. But that is not the reason we're fasting right now. The reason we are fasting is to seek the presence of God. Uh, Colossians, Paul gives us a bit of a warning in chapter 2, and he says this. He says, these indeed, uh, oh, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, and severity to the body. But they are of no value, some value, like a little value, no, no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Um, asceticism, which the first service I said, asceticism, and I only had like 38 people tell me, that's not how you pronounce that. It's asceticism. I'm so sorry uh, to anybody who heard me say it wrong. Um, asceticism. Um, It is this idea, though, of like kind of self-flagellation. It's like you are hurting your own body uh, to earn something in the kingdom. You're trying to earn some sort of salvation or something. You are hurting yourself to move up in the kingdom. And Paul says there is an appearance of wisdom, but it's a self-made religion, um, and it has no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So we are not going through asceticism. We are not trying to earn something new with God. If we believe that fasting is a meritorious exercise, we are believing we need to further atone for a nearly finished work of Christ with self-created discipline. But the Bible teaches us 
that we have a complete salvation that is a free gift of God. So we're not trying to earn anything more with God. We're not trying to beat ourselves up. We're not trying to say, hey, last year I made a lot of mistakes, so I'm going to fast this year and make up for it. That is not what it's there for. It's also not there to impress your neighbor. If we believe that fasting will show others our godly discipline, we are operating in the flesh. We are attempting the pharisaical exercise of whitewashing our tombs. This is not what we're supposed to do. And if that feels a little harsh, you should read what Jesus has to say about it. He's even more harsh. (laughs) He's like, look, fasting, there's all these religious people that they fast and they go, woe is me, I'm so hungry today. And they're just fishing for something to go, why are you so hungry? And they go, oh, I want to tell you about my piety and how I serve God and why I'm fasting because I'm so holy. You know, that is not what fasting is about. You're not trying to earn more salvation. You're not trying to impress your neighbor. So that has to be out in the open. And Jesus said, if you're fasting, just pretend like everything's fine. You hide that away. Let that be between you and the Lord. That really is between you and the Lord. So what is fasting? Um, It's a fairly complicated question. Uh, I read this book called A Hunger for God by John Piper, and it's a really great book. Um, So I think if you're you're curious a little bit more about fasting, he talks a a lot about that. But... um, one of the, the most important stories in the Bible when it comes to fasting is in Matthew chapter 4. Um, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is officially starting his ministry here on earth. After 30 years of really only hearing a little bit about his teenage years, and it seemed like his version of like teenage rebellion was a lot more holy than any other teenager I've ever known. Um, We know a little bit about, you know, when he was older. We know a lot about how he was born, which was Christmas. We just celebrated. Um, But after 30 years, he really, it seems like, was just very faithful with what was in front of him. He worked um, with everything that he had and and was was living his life. And then at at the age of 30, Jesus is called into ministry. And this is the beginning of his ministry in Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 1. And it says this. And then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. (laughs) Which is like such an understatement. I'm sure after 40 days, I'd be starving. Um, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written... Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus, in the beginning of his ministry, fasted for 40 days. He went out into the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days. And then he quotes Deuteronomy. And so the enemy comes and says, hey, you could turn these stones miraculously into bread and you can satiate the hunger that you're feeling right now. And Jesus pushes back by quoting Deuteronomy saying, man shall not live by bread alone, but by the words that come out of God's mouth. Like this is the thing that we are called to live by. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, which is so interesting to me, this is like Bible nerd. I'm so sorry if this doesn't interest you, but it really interested me that that Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 8, and Deuteronomy chapter 8 is Israel after they had been in exile. They've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. 
And there seems to be this connection. There's like this call back to what's going on in the Old Testament, this 40 days of fasting, this 40 years in the wilderness. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, and this is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, starting in verse 2. It says this, and you shall remember the whole way of the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make, make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord." So Israel at this time, they've been in the wilderness for 40 years. They know there is this promised land that God has promised to them, but they've been wandering around, and now is the time, and God's going, you need to come in here, and you need to remember who I am. And these last 40 years, he says, it's been uh, testing your heart to see what was in it, um, to humble you, and then to lead you into the promised land. So Jesus 40 days of fasting in the wilderness. Israel, 40 days, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. Um, Jesus was tested by the enemy at the end. At the end of 40 years of wandering in the desert, the the people of Israel had to face their enemies to get into the promised land. Um, There was a preparation for the promised land in Israel, and the preparation that Jesus was going into was not just to get the promised land, but to usher in a brand new kingdom. When we're fasting, and I love this. This is the thing I love about following. Like, it's so easy for us to forget this. You know, it's like Sunday afternoon. It's, you know, it's just like a normal day. You're probably going, I'm a little hungry, getting ready for, for lunch and all that. How long is Ryan going to preach? And it won't be much longer, I promise you. Um, we're here, we're in this moment, but what we forget so easily, like you think back, this story in Israel was thousands of years ago. This story of Jesus was thousands of years ago. And we, as a church, when we fast, we get to be a part of the story of God that goes back so far. I love, I read this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon um, was a, a pastor and a leader in England in the 1800s, and, and the 1800s was a very different time than right now. It was very different on its surface. But at its core, for the people of God, it wasn't any different. And Spurgeon, his church had a fasting and prayer season, which I love. I'm like, so do we. I'm like, I feel like, hey, we have the same thing. And he said this about his fasting and prayer season. He said, our seasons of fasting and prayer at the tabernacle have been high days indeed. Never has heaven's gate stood wider. Never have our hearts been nearer to the central glory. And it's so amazing, just this idea of like fasting and prayer. It goes back back thousands of years, even in the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon. I'm like, what he says right here, this is how I feel about our Wednesday night prayer meetings. Like, that's what I feel. Heaven's gate is wide open. We're beholding the glory of God. And so you look back at Israel, you look at what Jesus went through. Fasting was this thing that was humbling. Fasting was a thing that tested And Jesus, as he went through the test, what came out of him was a commitment to God. When you and I go through fasting, it reveals the inner workings of our heart. And if the heart is revealed to love God, 
then the enemy loses a foothold. He does. When we're hungry and we're weak in the flesh, we're strong in the spirit, and the enemy loses a foothold. The other thing fasting does is it prepares you for the next phase. Matthew chapter 9, verses 14. Uh, Nathan read this on Wednesday, and um, I think this is the key for us this morning. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 14. Then the, the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. So Jesus is saying, look, they're not fasting because I'm here. He always uses himself as this, the, the bridegroom as imagery for his, his own presence or even his return in the parable of the ten virgins. Um, so he's saying the bridegroom's with them. Why would they fast? I'm here with them. We, we are all joyful in the spirit together. But he says, then there will come a day when I'm not here and then they will fast. And he says this, no one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. Jesus is talking about at the time when they made wine, they would, they would, um, they would have these, these um, kind of like, flasks made out of animal skin, and they would sew it up really tight. They would put the grape juices in there. They would crush the grapes. They'd put the juice inside of it. Then they would seal it up. Then as fermentation started to happen with the wine, it would start to stretch that wine skin like a balloon. It started to stretch that wine skin till it reached its limit, and then it would stop, and it would finish its fermentation. And when it was done, you would enjoy the wine. What you couldn't do is enjoy the wine and then put more, more grape juice in there and let it go again. Because it had stretched as far as that old wineskin could stretch. And if you try to put something fresh into it, it would burst it. It would break it. I was asking the Lord, I was like, okay, so I've seen this. I've, I've, I've read that verse, but I didn't know that the context of this burst wineskin is fasting. That, that he's saying, look, then that time of fasting will come and then something new will happen, and you need to put new wine into new wineskins. I feel like what the Lord is telling us today is that some of you have used up your old wineskins. They are stretched to their max. They're thin. You've gotten all that you can out of it, and you feel so tired, you feel so stretched out. You're like, Ryan, this idea of God doing something new sounds kind of nifty, but I don't have any strength left. I'm so tired. I'm so stretched out. And I feel like the Lord is saying, there are new wineskins for us. We just have to pick them up. We just have to pick them up. There's a new wineskin for us as a church. I felt this in January. I, I don't know at what point, and maybe it was after Prophetic Sunday or, or something, you know, which would make sense. Um, but I felt like something had shifted in the spirit. And I felt myself kind of curious, kind of going, okay, Lord, something's changed. I don't know what it is, but it feels like we're in a new season. And I felt like just a, a, a 
just like listening to the Lord and going, okay, I'm just a student of what you're doing. Lord, tell me what you're doing. Help me to partner with what you're doing. Help me to have an expectation, arms open, hands open, saying, Lord, what are you doing? I want to get along. I want to get in it. Where the stream is going, I want to jump in. Because there's something new that happened. This fasting season, I believe, is a very pivotal point for us in getting into that new wineskin. For us as a church, but for you as an individual as well. That the Lord has a new wineskin for you. You feel stretched and tired like God can't do any more, and I want to tell you that that's not true. There's a new wineskin. God's not going, just stretch that old wineskin a little bit more. No. He's going, give me that old, brittle, hard, stretched out wineskin, and I'm going to give you something fresh, something new. I think, and if you've heard me talk about this uh, before, um, I'm so sorry, but I'm going to keep talking about this, but I think part of what the Lord is doing is shifting things from a come and see model to a go and do model of the church. So I think a lot of us, we've had a long time where we thought what happens here on this platform is the end all be all of church. And I'm here to tell you that that's not true. You're gonna come and you're gonna hear sermons that are great. You're gonna hear sermons that are not great. I could have preached better today. I'm so sorry. You might be like, he should have told more funny stories or he's going a little long, whatever it is. Fine, I'm so sorry. It's not what's important. What's important is coming around the word of God as a family and going, Lord, what are you saying? Our worship team, they're awesome. They were here very, very early this morning. They fought the temptation that you all fought to sleep in on a cloudy morning, which every Arizonan feels. You're like, it's cloudy out, Lord. Maybe I'll just sleep in today. In the spirit, of course, but I'll sleep in a little bit. Um, They fought that temptation just like you all did, and they got here very early. They worked really hard. But the success of today does not depend on how well they lead worship. It's not what's important. What's important is that it's a room full of people that are hungry for God, adding their hunger up together. And then something really beautiful happens. I heard a story in the first service that there was a couple that came and they said they had a neighbor that they had been building relationship with and she um, was like a tarot card reader and all this stuff. And they'd been kind of praying, like, Lord, give us a window that we could talk to her, you know. And one day they came to her and they came to them and they said, you know, she said, I'm feeling like there's some weird stuff going on in my house, some weird spiritual sort of things that are happening. Um, do you have any thoughts or advice, you know? And they said, can we come and pray over your house? And she said, okay, you know. And these are just people like you and I, just normal people. They've been praying for their neighbors. They haven't been going over there and giving them tracks every day. They're just waiting for like, hey, when's the window to, to tell them about Jesus? Window shows up. They show up and they, they pray over the house. And then she's like, what should I do? Like, how do I keep this, you know, at bay? And they're like, you should surrender to Jesus and pray to him. He's really powerful. He, he'll keep things at bay, you know. And the funny thing was, is there was somebody that was there that was like a a client of the person that was like the tarot card reader. And they were going, oh, that's interesting, you know. And the Lord, I was going, the Lord is so good. What a weird circumstance, right? Like that's never happened to me. I don't, I've never had that happen to me. But that is what the Lord does to people that are just looking for that opportunity. I think one of the hardest things for anyone in this room, I feel like this is the thing that puts us all on the same field 
There are people in our family that feel so hard and they feel so far from Jesus that in our flesh we go, they'll never give their life to Jesus, never. As the first Christian in my family, I have lots of people in my family that I'm praying for. I'm always looking for that window, you know, and the Lord's brought a lot of people into the kingdom in my family. But there's a lot that have yet to enter the kingdom. And there was one in particular um, this last week as I went down to Tucson that I was really praying for. I was like, Lord, give me, give me a window, you know, just give me that window. And there's been years where I've talked with her about the, the gospel, and she's like, well, you know, what about this, and what about that, and Christians are really weird, and I don't know. And, you know, I would try to bulk up on my, you know, apologetics, and I would talk about all the, you know, and it's great. I love apologetics. All that's great, but none of that convinced her into the kingdom, and I was getting to the point where, I'll just confess to you guys, I just didn't think it was going to happen. I just thought, well, she's very hard and hard, and it's just never going to happen. And um, last week, I, I woke up in the morning, and I felt like the Lord was like, today's the day. I said, okay. And, um, and I called my sister, and I, I love my sister. I was like, hey, could you be my backup? I'm going to go do something scary. Can you go with me? And she's like, sure. And, um, and this heart that I thought was so hard toward the gospel like, I, I stayed up the night before because I, I knew the Lord was calling me to it. And I was thinking through, how am I going to start the conversation? What am I going to say? What's the best way to start this, you know? And the minute I got in front of her, like, all of that went out the window. You know that, how that happens? You're like, okay, all my plans out the window. And I, I just said, hey, I want to ask you a, kind of a big question. She said, a big question? I said, yeah. Um, I said, do you believe in Jesus? And she said, well, I, I believe in Jesus, but... I haven't followed him like I wanted to, and there's been a lot of things that have hindered me. And, and I said, do you want to start following Jesus now? And she said, yeah. And I was like, you have that feeling like, don't mess this up. Don't mess this up. You know, you're like, okay. And I said, just pray after me, you know, and walked her through. And, um, and she accepted Jesus. And I, I, never, I never thought it would happen. I know I should be the one up here that's all spiritual and, you know, I believed real strong. I didn't. I was like, I don't have anything in terms of faith. And Jesus said, that's okay. If you've got a tiny bit, if you'll just go when I say go, then I'll, I'll do all the rest. I think this is part of the new wineskin that God wants us to put on. If each one of you had one person in your family, one person at your work that you're like, you've been telling yourself, there's no way that person will ever give their life to Jesus. I'm telling you, if you shift the expectation of your heart, not toward what you can do and your biblical knowledge or scientific knowledge to convince them into the kingdom, if you're just going with the Holy Spirit and you go, tell me the opening and I'm, I'm gonna do it. This church, this room right here would double in size next week. It would happen like that. And I'm not saying, you know, church growing is great and fine. That's not, not, I'm saying the kingdom would grow. The kingdom would grow if we did that, if we had the audacity to just believe that one more person would come into the kingdom. Just one more person. I think part of the old wineskin is thinking that what happens on this platform is, is the only important ministry, and that's not true. I think for years we've been telling ourselves if I'm in front of thousands of people or if I have a million Instagram followers, none of that has ever mattered and it especially doesn't matter right now. 
The big thing in the kingdom of God is finding that one person that you could tell about Jesus and seeing them come into the kingdom. And I'm telling you, that is way better than the best Sunday morning service you'll ever experience here. I believe that's what the Lord's doing. I really do. But I think for some of you that you're feeling like, man, this old wineskin, I just can't stretch anymore. Maybe you're hearing me say that and you go, that sounds too hard. I just, I can't give anymore. The Lord's going, that's okay. Give me what you got. And I'm going to give you something new that can stretch a lot more than you ever thought you could. And maybe you'll go to Japan with the Diarchosis or something crazy like that. Let's all stand up. And this is our time. Um, this is our time of worship. And, um, and we're going to have our prayer team that's up here. So if you need prayer for anything, please uh, come talk to our prayer team. But these moments, this isn't just, you know, uh, good flow of service to play a song at the end. Well, sometimes it is. <laughs> sometimes it is. Um, but our heart with this last bit of worship is not just that we just cap it off with a song that you like. Our heart is that we really engage with the Spirit of God. Maybe this morning you hear my sermon and you're like, I didn't get anything out of it. That's fine. That's fine. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit can speak an entire sermon to you in the next five minutes if you just open your heart and you expect him to speak. Let's pray. Jesus, right now, we posture our heart toward you. We've got old, stretched-out wineskins, Jesus, and we need something new. There's a version of ourselves that we see that we're not living yet, and that's okay. But God, we're going to need a new wineskin to get there. We've stretched out this old wineskin enough, and we are going to break if it pushes any further. We need something new. So God, we ask that you would come in a miraculous way. Fill our new wineskins with new wine, a new power. Lord, we pray that we would lay ourselves on the altar. That God, just as the, the grapes were crushed to create wine, right now we surrender ourselves to whatever crushing, whatever pressing you're going to do in our lives so that something new will come out. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be a people that chase comfort. Oh, Lord, help us not to be a people that chase comfort. But we are a people that chase the kingdom at whatever cost it is. Lord, help us to not be a people that are full from the world and we're just nibbling at the table of the world. But Lord, help us to have space to get something new. Jesus, we worship you. Lord, we lift you up right now in our mind, in our heart, above anything else, work, school, finances, worry, anything that's going on right now, we lift you up in the throne of our hearts and we worship you and we say whatever you're calling us to, whatever hard family member, whatever hard business person that's in our midst, and we go, there's no way that you're gonna come into, into their life. I pray that we would just remember that you can do all things, Jesus. Raise our expectation for what you could do in our life. We worship you in Jesus' name.